A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by The Helmet Club, running a virtual Le Mans 24-hour race in aid of the Ronald McDonald House Charity. Visit helmetclub.co.uk to learn more. This episode is called Come Back Monaco. All is forgiven. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Oh, you know me. It's always going good. I'm certainly not insanely busy. Good. So this week, I think in part, we're going to discuss Montreal versus Monaco, because something I find odd at the moment is the reaction isn't split. You know, objectively, in this race, there was more incidents than we had in Monaco. There was more changes of position. There was more cars pushing near top pace. Yet, there was no furious defence like we had from the Monfossi two weeks ago. No one argued that you had to be there. No one argued that racing doesn't just mean overtakes. Universally, Matt, this race was slammed. Yeah, it was. And uh, it's interesting to me that that's the case. Because really, uh, when you got down to last... 10 or 12 laps, there was a lot going on. There was a lot of chasing going on. There was a lot of uh, people very, very close. Um, You know, assuming the race had gone 70 laps instead of 68, it might have been even closer. Who knows? You know, I'm entirely convinced that the F1 social media account has stolen this from us, Matt. They've started putting up their races in 60 seconds, but the original, the best, Matt Trumpets, gives us the race in 60 seconds. out of 70 laps this is not the race in actually 60 seconds it's going to be in 58 seconds uh, 58 seconds point two nine. here we go lights out metal away contact verstappen and botas ricciardo gets reichen and ocon gets hulkenberg crash stroll out hartley out van dorn puncture safety car restart contact perez and signs perez off alonzo by Sorotkin. alonzo by magnuson perez whining 
Hamilton, power unit issues. Perez pits. Grosjean catches Magnuson. Ocon pits. Falls off the jack. Hulkenberg pits. Overcut Ocon. Sainz pits. Overcut Ocon. Verstappen and Hamilton pit on the same lap. Ricciardo pits. Overcut on Hamilton. Alonso pits. Undercuts Leclerc. Raikkonen pits. No one cares. Botas pits. Vettel pits. Alonso retires from the race. Grosjean finally pits. Botas off. Hamilton DRS on Ricky Checkers. Lap early. We are an independent podcast supported by you, the listener. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. Normally, Canada was a bit late and it was a school night. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here. So you can play this with kids in the background or at work. We are also joined by F1 Statman, Sean Kelly. How's it going, Sean? Super. We are also joined by former British F3 test driver, race of champions, Vettel Beater, and currently competing in the Peugeot in Germany's VLN Championship, Bradley Philpott. How's it going there, Brad? It's going very well. Uh, good evening, everyone. Hey to the chat room and welcome, Sean. We'll catch up more with you guys later on, but we'll say hi to the live stream as well. Catch us and join them by going to YouTube, searching Missed Apex Podcast. Subscribe, click the little bell, and you'll get a notification every time we go live. Matt, give us your general impressions of this circuit, because this is the second outing of the Hypersoft. It's fair to say that nobody was particularly enamoured with it in Monaco. Street circuit of Montreal, we were a little bit more hopeful, i.e. if this tyre was to wear away, you couldn't just stop on track be five seconds slower and expect to have a train behind you? Well, the Hypersoft wasn't as fast as we expected it to be, and it lasted longer. And I'm going on, I believe it was Pierre Gasly, made a set of them last well over 20 laps. Uh, So, you know, again, I don't know if this is just Pirelli getting revenge for getting beaten up on in previous seasons or not, but it, it, it does seem like it's not behaving the way uh, I think as a fan you would want for it to, which is it's really quick for a very short period of time. And then, and then you have to bail. So, but interestingly in qualifying, we had Sebastian Vettel up front, Bottas being the quicker of the two Mercedes. Um, In qualifying. Yes, we did. And that was, well, it wasn't really predictable based on your free practice three times, but, uh, in reading Mark Hughes' summary in Motorsport Magazine, um, it turns out that uh, there was a problem with Lewis's car uh, in in that he had um, gotten, uh, I believe, the remains of a bird stuck in his brake duct and barbecued it. We've got F1 stat man here, though. So st- statistically, how likely is it to get a bird in your cooling inlet in qualifying, Sean? It's a long shot. I'll give you that much. Um, but, uh, it's not, certainly not unprecedented. I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen a bird hit and take off part of rear wings in, in, in times past. So it could be worse. It is unusual though, that Lewis was so slow, relatively speaking in Montreal. Um, yesterday was the 11th anniversary of his first win there. He's won six times in Montreal. This was only, I think the second time he's ever been off the front row. And I must say up, up to the, up to the final laps of Q3, I was fully expecting him to put it on pole position uh given the fact that in q2 he was he was a half second down in q2 but in in just the final sector but over the course of the lap only two tenths behind so i always knew okay there's something to pull out of the hat here for hamilton in q3 that then didn't happen uh you know he ran a little bit wide at the the old the old pits hairpin for for us granddads 
Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he, he had a. It didn't go the way he expected it, and that that was setting the tone for the race as well. It turns out that even with three DRS zones, the track position played a much higher role in Montreal than we otherwise would have expected, particularly given the the reputation of the track. Trumpets. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to pick up on that. Uh, the interesting thing to me is, I don't know if you recall, but in at the last 20 minutes of free practice, they actually had the nose off Hamilton's car and they were mucking about with the suspension. And uh, based on Bradley's masterclass, I would have guessed that they were messing about with the anti-roll bar because he was continually locking up, which speaks to the balance not really being all the way there. And so I went back and I looked at best sector times and even on the ultra soft tires where he was faster and, and they look Mercedes look particularly fearsome on those tires in, in, in FP3. His sector three was actually still slower than Valtteri's sector three. And it just seemed to get worse. So I think whatever they were chasing, um, you know, they turned it left instead of turning it right, I suppose. Brad, you and I were talking about Hamilton's performances in qualifying and he's not immune at the moment is he to having bad qualifying performances and it just seemed like every time he was going into turn 10 he was struggling like do you think that's from over pushing or do you think that Hamilton's just kind of lost an edge in qualifying this season I wouldn't say he's lost an edge Uh, it's difficult to say because all these things happen over a very long period but definitely this year he's looked beatable hasn't he I'm sure at the start of the season, we would have had conversations saying how, you know, Bottas doesn't stand a chance this year and Hamilton was going to stamp his authority and it hasn't happened. He's He has been outperformed quite regularly. Go on, Trumpets, it's you're not, shaking your head. It's not Hamilton, it's the car. This is what I'm telling you. The car fundamentally never had the balance to be at the front. Is Bottas For, driving a different car then? Did Did he even get close to battle in the race? I thought we were just talking about Hamilton's performance versus Bottas, but um, in general, you're right, Hamilton has just not gelled with whatever performance the car can give him. But fundamentally, there's more performance than he managed to extract out of it because his teammate showed that, even if it wasn't good enough to, to take the... Top spot. I definitely want well, to get. Man. I definitely want to get Sean's opinion on this because me and Matt, like the cool cats we are, spent about two hours arguing on Saturday night after qualifying, Sean. Because I felt that the perhaps the for whatever reason the Mercedes drivers weren't extracting the full potential out of that car, and with only a tenth of a second gap to Sebastian Vettel, it felt like Mercedes could have got that pole on a different day. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I, I. I I don't think we should go too overboard with the notion that the car is is in some way undrivable. It's just uh, Mercedes are coming from a position of absolute dominance for many many seasons, and what they what may what may construe to be a crisis to Mercedes would be a position that's enviable to any other team. So when they don't get pole position, suddenly alarm bells start ringing. What's wrong with Mercedes? When in actual fact. This is actually what Formula One is supposed to be, whereby, oh, you make a little mistake, bad luck, you're consigned to being in dirty air all day, which is what Formula One is supposed to be, not a case of, oh, well, don't worry, we can just turn it up and suddenly we've got an extra second and a half in the pocket that we had before. So I, I, would, I would caution against, you know, just, uh, just saying, oh, Mercedes, they, they've, they've blown it. Um, because, you know, maybe if Hamilton nails a qualifying lap and he's on the front row, or if Vettel messes up, his qualifying lap and he's fourth on the grid we had a totally different result i think so much of it was dependent on the fact that we didn't expect the track position to be so dominant in the strategy calculations and you know i I went into it thinking 
Well, we've had several races in recent years that have been won from outside the top five on the grid in Montreal. It's not, it's not the be-all and end-all. You mess up qualifying. Well, it's, it's, your pole isn't all that important here. Turns out it was. Yeah. Trumpets. But fundamentally, the reason it looked as dominant as it was at the front was because neither Mercedes had the performance to challenge the Ferrari of Vettel. I mean, they, 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 you, you thought like at the end of the race, you saw Botas, and now we're talking about the race. We were talking about qualifying, but fundamentally, by not bringing the hypersofts, by not really dialing in their performance, they may have cost himself grid position. But if you look at the race and the the lap times. He got close, Botas did. He had the off. He was back to five seconds. And then Vettel just like set a lap that was nearly a second faster than him. And and you knew at that point he'd just been, you know, he'd just sort of been phoning it in all day long, keeping a decent gap between him and, and, and the Mercedes. But I don't think either car would have caught Vettel today. And I think if Vettel had been behind them, we would have seen some overtaking. Okay, so you're straying into the race. Let's talk about that. Big shout out to Steve Amy, who's giving you the graphics that you're looking at right now if you're watching us back on YouTube. Matt, why don't you tell us where the race was won and lost? Shouldn't take too long. Uh, no, really. Uh, at the start, it was very clean for Vettel. He got away. Uh, Bottas wound up having to defend from Verstappen. And then we had Hamilton, you know, after the uh, after the cleanup on aisle three, having, to, having uh, power unit issues, which... Mercedes were temporarily able to help him with by increasing the rate of fuel flowing into the engine, but Canada being a fairly marginal track for fuel usage in the first place, that wasn't a long-term strategy. This resulted in his early pit stop, which is about half of the stint length they'd originally planned. And at that point, um, and this, this is really critical, at that point, Red Bull saw them preparing for his pit stop and they ran their guys out and they managed to get Verstappen in on the same lap, which let Ricciardo make the overcut work. And it was day over for him. Okay, let's, uh, let's throw this over to Sean. I know you follow the strategy very closely. When you saw Hamilton come in without knowing about this power unit, A, were you surprised? And B, did that let Red Bull off the hook to some extent? I don't know if it let Red Bull off the hook necessarily. Um... I would say that when he came in, I thought, hmm, well, not what I expected. I would have expected him to go a lot longer, um, unless they've come up with something brilliant. It, what you always have to remember, as a broadcaster, as a fan, you always know less than they do. It's something. It's a basic, um, a basic saying. No way. The teams know more than us. So if they're doing something that you haven't thought of, that doesn't mean they're completely crazy. It doesn't mean they're gambling incessantly. Something's going on that you don't get yet. And, of course, that, that proved to be the case. I, did, I would say that strategically I thought, well, this looks like a mistake to me. I don't, I don't see how they're going to make this strategy work. For, as far as I was concerned, once it became apparent, when the DRS was activated um, and Max Verstappen actually dropped back from Valtteri Bottas, it became obvious to me that, okay, this DRS is actually, they're getting into dirty air, and then it's just, it's actually making it worse, paradoxically. So it then became clear that, okay, so now the game plan is stay out, keep staying out, and then stay out some more after that. If there's a safety car, box. If there's a virtual safety car, box. Until then, stay out until you can, you know, until you can't stand it any longer. To me, the, the most interesting strategy call of the race actually came later on, when Mercedes pitted Botas, 
because as far as I was concerned, I, I was going to leave. I would have left Botas out until lap 69 if I had to. As it turns out, of course, he, he might have even got a penalty then because he wouldn't have made his pit stop and the checkered flag would have come out. Mm. But um, yeah, interesting, interesting technical we'll malaise there. We won't get into that one. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as I was concerned, I mean, Roman Grosjean ran 69 laps of the race last year on super soft. So to me, it was always a case of this wear is going to be minimal. Stay out. If this track position is, is, is key, just stay out, leave it out there. And when Vettel pits, stay out longer than that. And let's hope that by the time you pit, whatever tire you take, be it an old Hypersoft or a brand new Ultra, it makes enough difference to overcome that dirty air problem. And when, once Mercedes pitted, I just thought, okay, I guess they, again, know something we don't. But it is absolutely obvious to every single person watching that Vettel comes in the next lap, covers that pit stop. Thank you very much. And we're off to Paul Ricard. I'll take some issue with that because what did we see in Bahrain? We saw Lewis Hamilton not dive into the pits when that virtual safety car came out. And we saw the Red Bulls, oh, sorry, China. We saw the Red Bulls dive in. And Toto Wolf afterwards said, in that moment, we decided track position was more important. Uh, and that ended up, you know, being, uh, being very decisive because the Red Bulls were able to come through, collect Sebastian Vettel on the way. So sometimes they do get it wrong. But of course, they don't have as much time to think about it as we do. Well, uh, also bear in mind, I did say if there's a virtual safety car yes. box as well. Yeah. But it... It is to me. It's 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 good for the sport that people as clever as the engineers on the pit wall at Mercedes can sometimes get it wrong. So you yes. know it, we don't want it to be in a situation where okay everything is clinical, every decision is perfect. We actually want the human error in the sport because that's what actually makes it interesting. Exactly, trumpets. It, it makes it makes the team part of the on track action and part of the variables. Yeah, and just going back to Red Bull spotting Mercedes. Uh, getting ready to pit Hamilton entirely enabled that strategy to work. Um, but you brought up the uh, pitting late and fast tires. Well, Grosjean pitted, uh, I think it was lap 48 off of his tires. And he had actually managed to gain enough in hand to, to come out of the pits ahead of Magnuson. And those tires were very, very quick, but they weren't quick enough for him to get around the people ahead of him when he caught up to them. But he was chunking, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty good amounts of time out per lap. Till he caught up to the people ahead of him. I am right. Well, that's why I would. That's why I would have left them out because I thought, okay, it, this is track position, track position, track position. Stay out. The only thing, the only thing to me that would have influenced the boat to stop was Mercedes concerned about a blowout, which is that perhaps can happen. And we know historically that Mercedes are not. They're not gamblers. You know, they 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 play it safe. They they make sure they get the points in the bag first, and that's probably what influenced the decision. That and don't overlook the fact that the 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 engine was on its seventh race, so it, they may have already decided that it just wasn't worth trying to catch Vettel yes. that hard. A good point, which I'd forgotten, and I'm glad you brought it to my attention. I like the fact that Sean has come here and given us a third way to say Botas. So I, I go for the very British Botas. Matt goes for a kind of Southern drawl Atlanta Botas, and you've come in with Botas. Which is, uh, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice bit of variety for the show. But I tell you what, I am wary of at the moment is, for example, Force India, Perez got punted off. He decided, right, okay, we're going to take this opportunity to come in. And once again, anything that happens, he comes in, gets the very hardest tire on, and you go, great. If you're a Perez fan, you're sitting there going, great, we're going to watch him nurse the tires now 
for 50 laps. It's not the most thrilling thing to be cheering your guy on. Come on, conserve those tyres. You can do it and possibly make up a place when your competitors pit. Well, you know, it, it, that's six of one, half a dozen of the other, isn't it? I mean, it, it's it's some some days that can be a very interesting thing because if for if a set of circumstances uh, transpire whereby the the other guys end up behind him, now you're thinking, okay, if he can hang on to this, he gets a podium. Or or sometimes with other drivers, it could be even more than a podium. But, you know, it, it's that's all part of the, yeah. the swings and roundabouts of strategy. You know, if we if sometimes the tortoise beats the hare. It's just uh, it's and how it should be, because if the hair wins every time, well, why do we bother watching? But if it's your man that you're trying to thrust forward with your sofa chance, you do kind of prefer seeing him being the one charging. Yes, I do appreciate sometimes he's got to be on the defensive. But Matt, I mean, the race settled down very, very quickly to the point that I mean, I was watching it in a mobile phone in a car park after my commentary event at Butmore Park. Thank you very much for Daytona Milton Keynes for putting a great event on down at Butmore Park. Uh, we will be going there on the 4th of August to record, uh, record a live podcast and do a karting event. However, after 20 minutes, Matt, I thought, hmm, I can probably just set off home and listen to this on the commentary. Yeah, it, it probably would have been visually more exciting to be driving and listening to the race than uh, than to actually watch it on, on, on the telly because there wasn't a lot happening. And it's not just the tires. It's also the fuel saving. It's also the regulations making the power units have to last so long means that they have to be very cautious about reliability. Everybody is turning stuff down as often as they can just to make the full season work without penalty. And this is why you will see, if you go back and look at the races, I think it's a very clear pattern. Yeah, your last 10, 12 laps is when you will see people push if they think they can catch. And we saw Mercedes actually even offer Hamilton a choice. Like, you can turn it down to this. And he's like, no, 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 I can see him. He's just, you know, not even two seconds up the road. Let's go because he knew, and this is, I think, where you get the contra opinion about Canada. That was his world championship lead directly ahead of him. And he really, really, really did not want to let Vettel walk out of Canada in first place. Yeah. Look, we are going to discuss why was this particular race boring? And, you know, we always try and be quite positive about the sport, but I think it's it's undeniable that that race didn't spark. And so we're going to address that. But first of all, I can see the chat room has already taken exception to me saying that Perez was punted off. So let's do what we always do when there's any incidents in Formula One and assign blame in whose fault is this? Whose fault is it? Okay, so the stewards keep talking about racing incidents, and that has absolutely no truck here in the podcasting shed whatsoever. In my marriage, we must assign blame for anything. If I leave water on the floor and my wife kicks it over, she says, why on earth would you leave a glass of water there? However, if I was to kick over her glass of water, she'd say to me, why can't you watch where you're going, you fool? So in the spirit of my terrible marriage, and nobody tell my wife that I said any of this because she's going to be there at our karting event at Buckmore Park. In the spirit of my marriage, let us assign blame. So where shall we start? Let's start with Perez signs because this is a great example about how people see things differently. Bradley Philpott got very angry with me in the course of our discourse because I said that I felt like Perez was punted off. Bradley, I'm going to go to you first. Here's how I saw the incident. I saw signs stranded after that final chicane going past the wall of champions. 
bogged down completely, cars coming past him. Perez has got clear momentum on the outside. He's nearly all the way past. Signs actually from a, a, a relatively central position coming down that home straight, moves to the right to give himself the best line into turn one, ends up punting Perez, who is just taking the same racing line as everybody else, yet there's no penalty. Now, you strongly disagree with the steward here because you think that Perez was to blame. For the benefit of the podcast, I strongly disagree with the stewards. And I wouldn't for a second um, say that actually probably completely agree with the stewards. So just to keep you happy, Spanners, I'm going to argue the side that I think is is a little bit more to blame. So uh, th- that little bit more is going to count. Are you for trying to tell me that you genuinely think Perez. that it's a racing incident? Keep that to yourself. We don't do that. Okay. The stewards bottled it. Whose fault is it? It's Perez's fault. And it's pretty straightforward why. In fact, you even, you kind of described it yourself there. You said he took the same line as he always would. Now, there's a little thing called other cars. And in (laughs) Formula One, sometimes there are other cars on the track. Sometimes they're in places that you want to put your car. Unfortunately, if they're already there, you can't drive through them. I think it was Mario Andretti that once said, I'm there, man. Can't drive through someone. If If you turn across when there's someone on your left, you're going to spin yourself out. And he did. Sean Kelly. You agree with me, I, right? Bradley just took the uh, the words out of my mouth there, so I'm going to go with uh, it's Ericsson's fault. <laughs> Fantastic. But look, from my point of view, though, like Signs was stranded, and yes, you can say he's he's uh, you can't turn in if there's a car there. But by the same token, just because you get your nose somewhere doesn't mean people have got to dive out of your way. I don't think Signs had any right to be coming back at that point. The momentum was completely with Perez. Uh, and, and as you can see, like when they make contact, he's closer to Perez than he was at the start of that breaking zone. So like, I can't think of any better description of a punt than what Signs did to Perez. If I may add my tuppence for what it's worth, I, I've reviewed both, both incidents from both onboard cameras. And it, for Signs, it was a split second reaction. You know, do I, do I stay on my line? Do I turn in? You know, it, it happened so quick. It obviously wasn't something that could be premeditated or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's really difficult to to assign blame to that one. I think both of them are just arguing over the same piece of track. But um, yeah, it's definitely Ericsson's fault. Trumpets. It's there's not been this at all. Trumpets. There's been a shocking lack of blame here. Come on, help me out. You agree with me? Uh, yeah, I totally agree. It is definitely someone's fault, and that someone is Perez. Can I carry on? Can I keep giving you reasons? Well, okay. P- put it this way then. Tell me why it's up to Perez to jump out of the way because Signs wants to stick his nose in. And okay, does, does, so does this I, mean I'll, now? I'll, let me answer. Okay. So it's not up to him to jump out of the way. Um, he's not. Uh, he's not jumping out of anyone's way. He, all that's up to him to do is to wait until it's clear to drive onto a piece of track. So if someone's on your inside, and in this case, if someone's on your left. And I know he's only a little bit on his left, but a little bit is still there. Um, you can't turn. You have to carry on straight. If it gets to the point where Science actually runs him out of road, where you know Science is turning right towards him and they get to the grass and he continues across, that's different. But that isn't what happened here. Science was already on the left. Perez was attempting a pass. He didn't quite make the pass, but he decided he had. If you turn in when someone's up your inside, you're going to spin yourself out. And you normally quite quickly learn not to do that bradley can i ask as a as a driver is there also the possibility that carlos is 
is absolutely on the limit of his braking and he knows that, okay, I, I can't quite turn it in yet because if I do, I'm going to lose the rear. So I've got to kind of stick with this here. And this is all split second reactions, of course. Uh, is, is that a possibility as well? I'm, I'm sure science was on the limit of his braking. If you're trying to prevent someone coming past you, you're going to brake as late as you can possibly get away with. So uh, once again, it's not a case of science even having a possibility of backing out. He's probably slowing the car down as much as he physically can. And so I don't know what Perez expected him to do. Science can't suddenly stop the car quicker than physics dictates. I want to add, during this race, Carlos Science got a, a grid penalty for, for causing the first lap accident. So uh, in the back of his head, he was probably thinking at some point during that day, like, I hope I don't get into some sort of terrible incident that gets me a penalty. So what I'm hearing from you there, Brad, is that Science couldn't fully control his brakes into the braking zone. Uh, actually, just somebody in the chat room just said um, he'd left a car's width on the outside. I think it's worth talking about these rules because the rules don't actually dictate what you should and shouldn't do in a corner when it comes to leaving room. On the straight, it seems to be pretty clear that you, you have to leave a car's width if you're moving over to block somebody. There's that two moves rule, which still exists. So yes, you can move once you can move back to the racing line so long as you leave a car's width. But in the corner, Sean, am I right in thinking, it doesn't actually dictate anywhere in the sporting regulations what you can do. It doesn't say anything like if a car is halfway up the length of the your uh, your left-hand side, you have to then leave him room. It doesn't dictate that. But to the best of my knowledge, I've never read anything in the sporting regs that dictates that. I remember... After the 1995 German Grand Prix, there was a, there was an edict passed down from Place de la Concorde from the supreme leaders of the FIA saying it was something along the lines of if you have the inside of your car, um, you know, past the rear wheels of the car in front, you the person in front is ob- is 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 obligated to give you the room to complete the pass. And I remember that caused a lot of people to laugh out loud. And after that, I think the FIA backed away from the whole uh, adjudicating, okay, what, what goes on in, in the heat of a pass? You know, if those of you, those of you in North America uh, who watch baseball, um, I'm sorry if I'm losing the European audience here, uh, you know that an umpire, uh, calls, calls, an umpire calls balls and strikes. They are not up for debate from the player. The player can argue the other things like, are you sure that was the right call? But the uh, player cannot argue balls and strikes because that's the game. And I would, I would say that in the same, using the same analogy, that's the game in Formula One. It's each, each individual incident has to be reviewed on a case by case basis. There can't be a hard and fast rule that says, okay, you know, he's been there for seven thousandths of a second. Ergo, the guy in front caused it. It's a 10 place penalty for him at the next race. It would just be madness. But it would be nice from a spectator point of view, if we could kind of play along with that process. Uh, You're old enough, Sean. You're the same age as me. You would have grown up watching football and you had these You Are the Referee books where it says, "Okay, the goalkeeper has handled it in this position, but his feet are here. Is that a penalty or not? From a spectator point of view, it would be nice if we could kind of get involved in these stewards' decisions as well. Uh, Yes, but I would say that in football, you're dealing with a static uh, playing field whereby, okay, here's... You know, th- this is the 18-yard box. Was he in or was he out? Did this happen? Did that happen? I-, I would say that when you're dealing with two cars racing, you know, it's... I, I wouldn't... I don't want that... I, I don't want... 
officials to, to dictate what is and isn't racing. We had this in, in 2008. Do you remember the Japanese Grand Prix of 2008 at Fuji? We ended up with a situation. Hamilton absolutely locked his brakes up going into turn one and got a penalty because it was decided he'd been overly aggressive, even though he did not hit anyone. Then Felipe Massa hit Lewis Hamilton and punted him to a spin. Felipe Massa gets a penalty. And you're thinking, you know, we're racing for a championship here, guys. At some point, you've got to let these guys sort it out for themselves. You can't be nannying this whole process. Yeah. So I would, you appeal to baseball, and I will appeal to the Bard to settle this question, which is namely, methinks Perez doth protest a wee bit too much. If you looked at their post race interviews, Perez was like, you should have black flagged him. He should be hung by his heels and dragged through the town square. Agree. And then they asked, they, they asked signs about it. And, and signs is like, oh, well, you should probably look at the video first. And <laughs> I think that says it all right there. But look, I'll tell you simply, was the wing alongside the rear wheels? Yes. Signs was alongside. Was signs alongside before Perez turned the wheel? Yes. Does that make it Sainz's fault? No, that makes it very, 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 very much Perez's fault, period. End of story. For a for a really clear view of how that corner should have panned out, um, check out the Alonso versus Leclerc battle because Alonso tried to pass Leclerc around the outside. Leclerc stayed on his inside. Alonso didn't just try to drive through him. He turned when it was appropriate to, which was by going deep around the outside. That's how that corner, that's how a move at that corner is supposed to work. Um, it didn't come off for him, but he also didn't spin. Dakota, uh, so anyway, Dakota it. in the chat room says the baseball analogy works perfectly for this race because both are equally boring. That is harsh. I tell you what's not boring is the exciting presence of Sean Kelly. In the introduction, we just said hello to you. We breezed past it as if it was no big deal. Uh, but you are a very big deal indeed. You are in the ear of our most beloved broadcasters. You're at the fingertips uh, of people who are giving us the information as the race is happening. F1 stats pretty much goes through Sean Kelly. You are Mr. F1 stat. You know, I should have you come and officiate at my upcoming wedding because <laughs> that, that, that was such a good, and, and most of my, most of it is going to be my fiance's family there. A lot of them are not going to know me. And once they hear that big, uh, the big hoo-ha about that, they're going to be like, wow, he's all right. It's kind of a big deal. He's yeah. not just a dodgy <laughs> yeah, Neil Patrick Harris. Ma- looking married like. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Um, no, I, for those who don't know, I, um, I, uh, how do I put this? I supply, I guess, statistics to most of the domestic broadcasters which uh i sky uh channel four um internationally fuji you know uh orf sky germany when they were doing it uh canal in france um just used to be nbc here um it formed themselves i did the f1 race programs if you bought a race program at a track in the last four years i did those as well so you you kind of uh, yeah you can't really avoid my uh my nefarious influence. So can I just clarify, when you say supply, how does that like physically get to the guy who sat there calling the shots? Well, it, it's obviously there's a main pack uh, that would, would I would issue to them in advance of the race so they, they can do their own research, come back to me with additional questions like, yeah, what about this? What about that? Uh, when the cars are actually on the track, there's a, a streaming service that's available to the broadcasters, um, which they log into and basically it appears in real time with whatever they're looking at. 
So if we're looking at Lewis Hamilton, it will say, oh, uh, Lewis Hamilton, or, you know, whatever, has, has been, if Lewis Hamilton qualifies on the front row, it'll be his 10th front row start in Montreal, which ties Michael Schumacher at Suzuka for the most front rows at any Grand Prix track in Formula One history. So it's right in front of them, right when they need it. So they, they don't even have to rack their brains to think, what was that number? What was that track? It, it's right there. So that's how it works. Right. We have a, a few interesting uh, questions from the uh, chat room, if you've got a moment. Uh, New European would like to know, what is the statistical probability that a pit stop goes wrong? Has there been a study of that? And how do teams compute that or a human error risk and strategy? Dom Byrne would like to know when you're going to be doing your F1 stats book. And Mark Greenhall would like to know what exactly you put for occupation on your car insurance application. <laughs> yeah, it changes. Uh, so what was the first question there? there? What was the, the first, the first question? question? Was the prob the probability of human error in pit stops? Um, I I don't know of, of of any reputable research behind that. I mean, I suppose you could work on it, but ultimately it depends how well drilled the people are. You know, it, 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 on a team by team basis, if you go in and practice the pit stops, it's fine. Um, but in the heat of battle, it's different. And again, not to bring it back to another sport, but it's a bit like working out what's the statistical probability of England losing a penalty shootout. Well. Okay, well they lost the they lost the World Cup semi-final shootout in 1990, but none too of those soon, players are in the current team. Sorry, um, but none of those players are involved in the current England team. So therefore, the the you know the reference is invalid. Um, to me, it's more it it it's better to just trust your guys and say, okay, we've done everything we can to make sure that there won't be an error. Let's trust that we don't make an error, but let's calculate everything we can calculate. The pit stop delta. Okay, it's going to be 17 to, between 17 and 18 seconds for a stop. Do we want to bring them out? What do we know based on Friday's running? Okay, the Hypersoft tied to this. The Ultrasoft did that. Based on this, we're going to box them because we know we can stop in about two seconds. And we're going to bank on the fact that we don't make a mistake. I tell you what's really interesting to me, apart from the question there that says, what do you put on your car insurance form? Uh, do you put statistical analysis of Formula One and accidents, therefore give me a discount? Uh, but the other one is, more excitingly to me is when you're actually in the ear of the people on the production line. Like, are, are you just, do you have free license to press a button and kind of say, dude, the thing you're talking about, it's actually the 50th time this has happened since 1847. Yes, I, 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 I don't have that at the moment. Um, but uh, certainly for the last 15 years on US television, that's what I've done. I've basically yelled in the commentator's ear. Um, uh, and sometimes you hear, sometimes you hear them sort of, uh, oh, uh, so that's the first time that happened. I remember Jim Clark doing it at the um, 1967 Dutch Grand Prix. It just comes to them like, you know, out of nowhere, where it's actually me telling them in their ear. But also that would, uh, in in the uh, in US television back in the days when we had commercials in broadcast, um, I would also tell the producer, look, you know, you might want to get a break in here. We're not going to get a stop. No one's likely to pass anyone. We could get away for two minutes here, get the break in and come back. And when we come back, we'll get Hamilton's second pit stop or anything like that. So there's, it, it, my job was not just statistical. It also it was a bit like being on the pit wall because I'd be coordinating the race strategy for our broadcast. I would be, for those of you who know Steve Matchett, I'm a very popular um, presenter here for the last decade and a half. Uh, we would basically have a two-way conversation while he would be on the air. And I'd say, Steve-O, you know, to me, it looks like the Ultrasoft is the best tire. If they take the Ultrasoft here, go and pit in two laps time, they'll come out ahead of that car and then they can push in clear air and possibly get an undercut. So we would have that conversation going back and forth exactly like it would be on a pit wall. Um, and sometimes we would get it wrong and sometimes we would get it right and we would look like geniuses. But the, 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 the 
what we do with that is not to be right every time so much as to give um, an idea. Like give, you've got to build the anticipation. Oh, you think Hamilton's going to box any, any second now? Well, let's watch if he does, because, you know, if he doesn't, that changes the equation. You've got, you're trying to not react to what you're seeing, but anticipate. Uh, the chat room saying, Sean, you made Varsha, Diffie slash Hobbs slash Matchett look brilliant at times. Uh, but I think it's fair to say then we now have in the shed here today the definitive authority on F1 statistics. Was it Alonso's 300th Grand Prix or not? It was his 300th Grand Prix weekend. Now, I advised <laughs> particularly on this in my uh, pre-race notes that there is even an argument over, is it his 297th start? Or is it his 298th start? And you may have heard, people who watched the whole Grand Prix weekend may have heard uh, David Croft discuss this on Sky Sports. The anomaly there is the 2001 Belgian Grand Prix. Now, as per the rules of the time, what it was was you would get, if a red flag came out after lap two, the positions are frozen, we restart the race over the remaining distance, and what came before is annulled. Now, before that, what would happen is the race would be stopped, and then restarted over the remaining distance using uh, aggregate times. Last time we used that was Suzuka 1994. Um, now, Alonso and Raikkonen were in the 2001 Belgian Grand Prix, and both of them retired before Luciano Berti's accident with Eddie Irvine brought out the red flag. The race was then restarted over the remaining 36 laps, but the record books say Alonso and Raikkonen did not start that race, when in fact that they did. Now, my favorite analogy on this is the famous, uh, possibly exaggerated tale of Nicky Lauda uh, going to a, a historian and saying, this book you've written says I didn't start the 1976 German Grand Prix. And the historian says, that's right, Nicky, you didn't. You weren't there at the start that counted. And, he, and Nicky says, well, if that's true, what happened to my ear? Yes. <laughs> so does it, so Nicky didn't want that race erased from history, presumably. However, uh, so you're going for the textbook definition, which is that he has started 298 official race Grand Prix classified starts. In, in, in my opinion, he has started 298. I would say that the, in the official scheme of events, he started 297. And I, there was a conversation going back and forth this weekend between me and a number of uh, people in in the Formula One uh, sort of inner circle saying we need some sort of FIA definition of this. My, my definition of a start is if you are under starters orders and the race uh, actually starts, you have made a start. So there are anomalies there. For instance, Nico Hülkenberg in 2015, 2016 Belgian Grand Prix. I can't remember which year it was, was on the starting grid. The car failed on the starting grid as the lights were coming on. The race didn't start. It was an, an abort. Nico Hülkenberg then didn't make the actual start. What, you know, what's the call? You just said, you know, you be the ref. What is that? Do you define that as a start or as a did not start? Let's get back to Canada 2018. Okay, Bradley, we did have another whose fault is this? And I was considering trying to make the case that Brendan Hartley had somehow put himself in the wrong position. So, look, let's make this clear. This isn't a whose fault is this. Lance Stroll lost control. He was going to smash into that wall whether Brendan Hartley was there or not. I'm taking I'm taking it you agree with me on that single point, Brad. Yes, I do. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he was keeping out of the wall after he lost the rear. However, and, and that leads to a longer conversation about Williams. But initially... 
Brendan Hartley, a guy who has raced at your karting championship, who you know personally, who is a good racer, who is under an extreme amount of pressure at the moment, with all the media saying, you know, we want Lando Norris in, we want Robert Kubica in there. So he's coming to this weekend knowing that he's got to deliver. Did he really need to take that chance? Did he need to put himself in a position where he had to go over the grass to put himself in between the wall and a car that is not only notoriously out of control, but had already hit a McLaren and had already hit actually Hartley himself. Did he need to put himself in that position when his career is on the line? I'm just so desperately disappointed that he's ended up DNFing when he could have just lifted off and glided past that Williams who ended up two two laps uh, down in the end did Sergei Sorokin in the remaining Williams did he need to do that Brad okay so let's start off by saying I was also really disappointed he ended his race in the wall on lap one um, because I was really rooting for him to get a strong finish and get his season back on track and you know get some confidence back and maybe even score some points but to answer your question or actually I think you put several in there Yes, he did need to because we're at Montreal. Anywhere he put his car was going to be up next to a wall. And you can't account for people just losing control when you're alongside them on the first lap. He could have, we could have the same conversation. He could have been alongside Hulkenberg, for example, uh, at the previous corner. And he could have been squeezed into the wall. And we would have said, oh, did he really need to go alongside him at that point, you know, near the wall? He made a legitimate move. He was making a very good pass. It's totally irrelevant whether he had to skip across the grass um, to get into that position unless he lost control because of going on the grass, which didn't happen. So he put his car in a really good position. He was going to take the place into the next corner. It's just unfortunate. It's just one of those things that Lance Stroll happened to lose control there. You can't. We saw what happened through the rest of the race where people struggled to pass. You're in the first lap and you've got an opportunity to pass. He did exactly the right thing. He was just unlucky. Yeah, I agree. It's not like if he didn't finish the race, he loses the world championship. If he finishes the race, he wins the world championship. He needed a good result. The door was wide open and it was an excellent place for him to get round to get round Stroll before Stroll caused a problem. But who would have thought on what amounted to basically a straight piece of track (laughs) that that would have happened with hindsight? Yeah. You could allow for the possibility a little bit more, but really Hart, Hart, the only thing Hartley did wrong was, uh, you know, try and actually race his car. I agree, Matt. And sorry, Spanners, the reason I was going um, crazy on the video there is because I just saw uh, a comment in the chat room, Tony P saying that Stroll left a car's height, um, which I thought <laughs> was great, definitely an early contender for comment of the week. Uh, we, we, we have a deeper problem though, don't we, Matt? Um, Brendan Hartley, I think we talked about this last week when he ended up getting collected by Leclerc with that brake failure. The weight of issues, though, is bearing down upon him. At some point, even with this, which is a 50-50... In fact, let's go to Brad. Is that the chat room again? No, this is actually... I've just been reminded about a comment that Hartley made during the weekend. I think it was after qualifying. Um, If you remember, Gasly had an issue with his power unit, I think it was. And Hartley was asked in an interview... uh, is there a danger of you having that same issue, Brendan? And his response was, no, they didn't give me that upgrade. So um, so that shows that already Gasly's being favoured and not only is Hartley getting bad luck, but he's not even getting the upgrades when they come in. 
Yeah, it seems like his his place is definitely up for grabs. No one's been shy about saying that. But there's got to be a chance that if they can't, say, secure Robert Kubica, is how I pronounce it, sorry, chat room, Kubica, if they can't secure Lando Norris, which seems unlikely because McLaren want to keep their options open for 2019, and I'm sure Toro Rosso would want to do a more-than-this-season deal, that if Brendan Hartley starts putting in results... Like today, there was a point up for offer. He could have chased down Leclerc like Gasly was doing. There is a chance that he holds on to that Toro Rosso seat. I mean, look how long Kvyat ended up hanging on to that seat, even though you know he clearly had upset the god of Red Bull. So do you, do you hold any hope for Hartley at all, Brad? Maybe. If I mean, there's not that many people with super licenses. And, and if the people who are available, you know, actually um, eligible, I should say, um, aren't available like Norris if McLaren haven't released him or if other drivers just uh, their contracts don't allow them to go or they don't want to go there um, then maybe he could stay because he's not doing a bad job Hartley's been unlucky he's he's a good driver he's in his first proper season last season doesn't really count um, it feels like he's just finding his feet now as a single seater driver again and he he could be good you know he could start giving Gasly a run for his money so he needs more races for, before um, we can decide this Sean, uh, let me ask you about the Williams driver, Lance Stroll, who was involved in that accident then, because the reports that we were getting before the weekend was he's bored. He's not interested in Formula One. We've, we've noticed his radio messages getting increasingly tetchy. I mean, Lance- if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Season, we saw this kid who was so enthusiastic and and full of just optimism and hope, and he was happy with. Oh, I'm I'm just four tenths behind Massa, and that means I'm doing super super well. It was it was hard to dislike him. This season, he's being very whingy, saying just fix the car for goodness sake. We're getting with these reports that he's bought. He's it's coming across now like the novelty has worn off, 
And that kind of incident doesn't help his reputation. But Claire Williams keeps coming out and defending Lance Stroll. He did really well on the first lap. Hartley hit him. Uh, he's done everything we need him to do to secure a seat for 2019. Uh, where do you land on that? Well, Lance Stroll certainly um, did enough to clinch his seat for 2019 when he was born back in 1998. Um, and I would say <laughs> that um, that was Can all we, we give really needed to do. comment of the week for that? The situation at Williams is coming home to roost. They haven't got an experienced driver. I would say that Lance Stroll has talent, certainly. So does Sergei Sorokin. They don't have the experience of a Felipe Massa. So when Stroll would spit his dummy out, they could turn to Felipe, the old hand, and say, look, Phil, baby, Felipe, baby, uh, this is not working. Can, you know, what, what's your opinion? Felipe would do what he does you know, with his, all of his experience. They now don't have that, uh, and that's a big problem. Did you know that this weekend was Williams' worst qualifying performance in Montreal in the history of Circuit Gilles Villeneuve? No. They've... They're in serious danger of turning into Tyrrell if they haven't already done that, whereby they're trading on past glories. That's a big problem. Tyrrell ended up taking pay drivers in their dying embers. And yes, since the turbo hybrid, hybrid era started, Williams had a big uptick in form, partly based upon the fact that the Mercedes engine was so superior. That superiority has now been eroded, as we're seeing at the front. Sebastian Vettel won at a canter yesterday with a non-Mercedes engine. Williams cannot lean on that advantage so much. So Williams have got big problems coming up because Martini are going away at the end of this year. Where's the money going to come from? It's, it's, it's worrying times. And the turbo hybrid blip, they, obviously they were great in 2014, great in 2015. But that was actually an anomaly uh, compared to the long-term decline. Lance Stroll, incidentally, this is a stat I particularly enjoy telling people, is actually so young now that he, he has never been alive during a Williams World Championship. He was born the year after they won their last World Championship. <laughs> so Williams, to him, is not a title-winning or, or really a race-winning team. It's just a team. Right. And you bring up Williams in their worst performance ever. And for some reason, the word McLaren resonates through my head. Uh, it, they had a horrible qualifying. Was it their worst qualifying as well? For McLaren, uh, it wasn't the. I don't think it was the worst qualifying they've ever had in in Montreal. But um, for, for for Fernando Alonso, it was his worst qualifying in Montreal since he raced here with Minardi in two thousand and one. Now, bearing in mind, we're talking about a two-time world champion here, a man with three hundred three hundred Grand Prix under his belt. Um, we shouldn't be making comparisons between him and Minardi when he's racing for McLaren. McLaren are in a serious, there's they're serious danger that McLaren will fall into the trap of Williams, which is everything will be fine. We used to win world championships. We'll win world championships again. All will be well. I don't see it that way. I mean, they're running out of sponsors. Look at how empty the car looks. They can't keep trading on past glories. The times move on. People, you know, the idea of McLaren winning a Grand Prix now would be a shock. Whereas, up to the end of 2012, you would have considered it of, oh, well, of course, they that's what they do. Um, mediocrity has set in there, and they can't blame anyone but themselves this year. For years, we heard, it's Honda. It's this, it's that, it's reliability, it's bad preseason. That's gone away. They don't have that excuse anymore. They're using the same engine that won the Monaco Grand Prix, and they're nowhere. 
So it's I not know. Alonso. I think we can reasonably assume that Alonso <laughs> knows which way is around yeah, the track. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. So who does that leave? What what does that leave us with? Who are we blaming then? Are we blaming like you know? A bolt of lightning or what? No, it's it's the model at McLaren. And I, I think we kind of saw it as early as 2011. We Obviously, it was a bit skewered by Lewis Hamilton kind of constantly spitting his dummy out, to be fair, and having a very bad season. But 2012, they had an opportunity to be title contenders and they were unreliable. They were making bad strategy calls. Something told you that there was something rotten and something wrong. And then 2013, obviously, when Lewis Hamilton jumped ship, suddenly McLaren were qualifying out of the top 10. And it was from there you went, this is no longer a force to be reckoned with. And then they never recovered. And then, of course, you know, the rest is history into the hybrid era. But it's getting a bit depressing with people who did very, very badly. Why don't we talk about some of the guys who did incredibly well this weekend? I know this is going to make Matt Trumpets very happy, but here's one statistic for you, Sean. Charles Leclerc is now one point off of equaling Marcus Ericsson's career championship points haul. I am glad you have preempted a stat that is in my Channel 4 stat wrap that will be published tomorrow. Oh, no, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I like that. I like, okay, if you've got the same numbers as me, that's good. That means my numbers are accurate. Um, Charles Leclerc has been a phenomenon this year. Um, in Q2 at the last four races, which is, a, which is a big coup for a cyber driver. Hasn't happened since 2014. Um, and uh, the, 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 one, the one number I love about him in, in, in this season's uh, championship was that uh, when he scored uh, his first points in Azerbaijan, uh, it ended it ended a run of no Monegasque drivers in the points since the second World Championship race ever held, which is the Monaco Grand Prix of 1950, when Louis Chiron finished third. Louis Chiron, who went on to be the clerk of the course in Monaco, no Monegasque driver has scored a point in a race since. So by my reckoning, going from the second race in history to the present day, that's the longest interval stat in the history of the World Championship. I tell you what, before we go to trumpets, um, an interval stat for you here as well. Max Verstappen beat the longest streak of sessions without damaging his car in 2018. This race by going five sessions without damaging his car. <laughs> oh, here comes my cat, everyone. <laughs> Don't worry, we're used to that. We always see trumpets, pussy. Trumpets, what were you trying to get in with? Well, I was going to go with, since we're talking statistics, I, I will ask, but if we're talking about drivers who had a good race, everyone mocked me for saying Pierre Gasly was having a particularly fine start to the year, but he finished up quite well. And more importantly, the Honda that he was driving passed not one, but two cars, at least on the straight, a Williams with a Mercedes and a Haas with a Ferrari engine. And I'm just going to put it to you. That may have been the first time that has happened since Honda <laughs> rejoined the sport. Dadster in the chat room says the cat seemed faster than anyone at Williams. Can you confirm that stat? Can you, Sean? Well, I can confirm that my cat does whinge like a Williams driver sometimes, but uh, I don't know if it's quite as quick. Uh, let's see who else did well. Uh, let's go to Bradley Philpot, the person you defeated in the skills challenge in the race of champions, Sebastian Vettel. You got to say, Sebastian Vettel got the job done today, whereas Bottas and and Hamilton couldn't. I'm disappointed that Bottas wasn't able to kind of be the lead driver with Hamilton having those problems and take that challenge to Sebastian Vettel. But Sebastian Vettel leading from the front, qualifying from the front, uh, he kind of seems in his zone at the moment. 
yeah, Vettel was very comfortable, wasn't he? He never looked challenged. But I disagree with you when you say Bottas wasn't able to be the lead driver. He finished several positions in front of four-time world champion Lewis Hamilton. So uh, well, well, he definitely well, what I'm was saying there acting is, more like a lead driver than his his um, decorated teammate. Well, that's true. But as the lead Mercedes driver, you wanted him to be the one to take it to Sebastian Vettel. All I'm thinking, guys, is that if Lewis Hamilton is, is generally been a, a few tenths faster in qualifying than Bottas, Bottas had the only responsibility with Mercedes if indeed Hamilton was hobbled by a bird in his car. I don't know how much effect that had or whether Hamilton was just off form, but it was up to Bottas to claim that pole for Mercedes. And you have to think that Hamilton on form, getting the maximum out of that car, would have been on pole, would have been attacking. Okay, let's say not Hamilton then, another driver in his peak, getting the maximum out of that Mercedes could have challenged Vettel. Vettel was there for the taking and qualifying. I don't know. I think you're, you've got a guy in that car who is known as being a fantastic qualifier and he couldn't get the car near the front. Bottas steps up to the plate and I think does pretty much as, as much as a car would allow him to do. And I think he got the best result that the car was really capable of this weekend. I don't think, I mean, we look at Bottas and, and think he's a, a kind of second tier driver, but I really don't think he is. I think Maybe there are occasions where Hamilton has the capability of of being faster if everything suits him. But I think in these conditions this weekend, that car wouldn't have gone very much quicker with anyone driving it. No, I agree with you. And in fact, I, I spent the time to go back and look at the improvement between FP3 and qualifying for all of the top drivers. And if you're going to say anybody underperformed in qualifying, yeah, it would be Hamilton. But then we also know that he had the issue with the brakes. So I'm not going to worry about that. But what's interesting is if you, I did this last year as well, the gap between Ferrari's improvement and Mercedes improvement is almost negligible on a percentage basis now. Period. End of story. And that speaks to Ferrari doing a much better job and catching up Mercedes. And that's really what we're looking at here. All right. So, Bradley, I, I know you're a Lewis Hamilton fan. I am. I support the Brits. Let's assume that Sean Kelly is a Lewis Hamilton fan as well, being a patriotic British sort of guy. Uh, I don't know. Have you become Americanized, Sean? Are you just now all about Haas? I'm an Irish citizen, actually. So, <laughs> so I'm neutral. I should have guessed with that. But are we at the point that we need to panic with Lewis Hamilton? Because he was pretty dominant in Spain. He didn't do well in Monaco, a track that he hasn't done well at, actually, in recent years. I think last season he ended up qualifying 10th, did he, and, and finishing in 8th place, something like that. Um, is it panic station, Sean, for Lewis Hamilton and his championship bid? He's one point off the championship lead. And it swings track to track, doesn't it? You know, we could get to another track and it could just suit the Mercedes better. They'll have their fresh engines in and the tides could turn. You know, it wasn't like Bottas finished 30 seconds behind um, Vettel. Like, we've seen... We've seen the Ferraris finish that far behind uh, the Mercedes yeah. at times. So I don't think it's a disaster right now for Mercedes. It's just track characteristics, not getting it all together in qualifying, a couple of other niggly issues, bird or old engine or whatever. You know, I, I don't think it's time to start panicking just yet. Yeah, and I also want to add that uh, Valtteri Bottas is a ringer in Montreal. He's Montreal has always been Bottas's best track. If you look at the fact that he mastered the wet-dry back in 2013 in a Williams to qualify third, in a car that scored five points all season. Sunday was his fourth podium in Montreal. That's more podiums than he's ever scored at any other racetrack in his career. All he's lacking is a win in Montreal. So the idea that, oh, well, what's happened to Lewis? Well, how about the fact that Valtteri 
flies around that racetrack every year. And we perhaps don't realize that because Valtteri is very uh, below the radar. He's not very, he's not a very showy driver. Not a, you know, he's not, Nico Rosberg had the same problem. He's not one of the sexy drivers like Max Verstappen or, or Lewis. Sure. I'm starting to think that knowing about Formula One statistics is incredibly useful. Like just basically any debate we're having, you can just say, yeah, that's right or wrong. Like what, have you got like a eidetic memory that holds all these facts or are you just sat there being a bookworm constantly? Well, as I like to point out to many people, it was many, many years into my teenage years before I ever touched a girl. So that left me plenty of time to do, uh, do research instead. Excellent. Nerds FTW. Good news. <laughs> Okay, good. Right there with you, nerds. Right there with you. Well, Matt, I am somewhat thrown. Uh, let's briefly touch on why we think that this race didn't deliver. Is is this just a, a race where we've seen the, the issues with Formula One magnified, all these aero issues that we've been talking about? Or is it as simple as, actually, the Canadian Grand Prix, if there's no mid-race safety car... This is just what happens at Montreal. It's just that so often this track will deliver a safety car that we don't see it for what it is very often. Nah, I think really uh, it's a perfect storm of the fuel requirements, the cars being faster, the tires being much more predictable, and the teams that we expected to really compete at the front, one of them not quite showing all the way up. And, and, and that's pretty much what it's down to. I mean, you have the first axis of the problem is the, is the fuel and the engine reliability that's required. And uh, somebody on Twitter had mentioned that, that you could tell that this is a real issue. If you go and compare uh, qualifying laps to fast lap in the race, and you look at the, the gap between them, and if you go back to the V8 era and look, look at the percentage difference between those two, it's, it's a fairly narrow percentage different compared to what we see these days so you've got that problem um and on top of it you just have a mercedes that i think has cooling issues when it's in traffic that i think the long wheelbase and the low rate concept is at the end of its development cycle i'm not going to say there's nothing left there to unlock and i think on certain tracks it will be very good but i think i think they're struggling more than they expected to based on what they projected uh, with the CFD and such like that to really get the car to work properly. And then you have the hypersoft tires, which we know Mercedes favor the harder tires. And I think that hobbled them again, more than they expected. They expected to maybe be second, third, yeah. third, fourth and chase Ferrari. But the race demonstrated that they really never got it all the way there. You know, Matt, it's not all about tyres. I think one day you'll learn that. But it is a lot about tyres. And I am having to concede that race after race that these tyres are making a massive difference to how the races go. But I don't think we should lose sight of the fact that when we went into the hybrid era, suddenly the lap times came down to be threatened by GP2. So the lap times came, uh, sorry, down to the increase. The cars were slow as the teams got used to this hybrid era. And there was a knee-jerk reaction at the end of 2014 to say, right, let's make these cars a lot faster. In this social media age, everyone was being listened to when they were complaining about lap times. Now, me personally, I couldn't tell you what the lap times were from one season to another. The, The ultimate lap time makes no difference to me whatsoever. But it was suddenly, in 2014, 2015, it was the most important subject to Formula One fans, and they bolted on 
a ton, a ton of downforce. Now, Sean, do you think that the, this Ross Braun-led incentive to say, right, let's have really simple front wings, is that going to be the magic bullet that suddenly stops this era of not being able to follow? Because Lewis Hamilton, he said, these cars are beep in that they can't follow once you get close. He said, on their own, they're magnificent, they're great. Once you get up behind another car, you can't do anything. This is Lewis Hamilton. This is one of the best overtakers in the history of the sport. I think the uh, the only way you can stop that complaint is by taking the wings off completely. Uh, because if you're going to use the air in any way, shape or form, then clearly running in dirty air is going to affect the car. There's a reason why there's a clearance between aircraft when they take off at Heathrow Airport. It's because <laughs> if you slipstream the airport, the airplane in front of you, you're not going to get good air. You can have a bad and time. That's a really good way to end up in the Eaton Dorney rowing lake. Um, <laughs> so the same physics applies to Formula One cars. As I always say, Isaac Newton does not discriminate. He applies the laws equally. So this problem is going to be the same for as long as there are wings. Having said that, I appreciate there is a need for wings because if you took the wings off, the cars would be so slow around the corners that they may not be that spectacular. And there's also the thing with advertising space and, and what have you. Um, I would say that of all the people in the world I would want on this particular case, Ross Braun is the guy I would pick. So let's just see what Ross comes up with. Because it, uh, quite apart from the, uh, the, the technical elements of implementing a change, there is also the political implications. And teams will moan until the cows come home about, oh, you can't take this off, blah, blah, blah. We've spent millions uh, doing uh, research on that particular part, and you know that, that would be terrible. Or Ferrari will play their game of, well, we're going to pull out of the World Championship if you change this regulation. They're usual holding the gun to the sports head as they do every couple of years. So there is also political implications there. Um, but I, I wouldn't... The thing is, is we've had two dull races. We've had plenty and plenty of dull races. Anybody who's got F1 TV will find out there are plenty of dull races in Formula 1 history, Every now and again, we get a great one, but let's not, uh, you know, let's not completely throw everything out for all time just because we've had a couple. To, to be fair, I don't think anyone's seeing anything on F1 TV at the moment. Trumpet, certainly you were in that position. I know you want to get in on something else, but I know that you ended up giving up on F1 TV. Yeah, well, uh, that was a story of, of of my my particular day where the job that I had in the morning started an hour later than I thought. And when I got in the car and cut on the GPS, it told me I would arrive home two minutes before the start of the race. And I'd left F1 TV up and running. I managed through, you know, dint of some decent driving to get home with three minutes to spare. And I cut on F1 TV and it's just a black screen. Now, fortunately, I had the app and I had my iPad so I could hear the start of the race. But I probably 20 minutes chat. And yet again, I was forced to clear the cache, clear the cookies, restart the browser before I could get a picture. And as soon as I get a picture buffering back in and out and and yeah not impressed yet at all concept is great the execution is still more than a bit lacking but what i i wanted to talk about and i think the problems that you're talking about with the race why is this race boring what is really going on here um the if you go back to 2009 there was an overtaking working group and they did not implement all of their suggestions patty Lowe was part of it but in it as a guiding principle, they decided that if the car could trail it about a second to a second and a half, then it was fair game that car should be able to get around the car in front of it if it had the pace. And what we've seen is those implementations weren't made for political reasons. 
And now we have an era of regulations where we went with less downforce with the hybrid engines. And just as they got fast, they decided it wasn't fast enough. So they bolt on all this aero. Now, the problem you have is you have a fuel limitation. They upped it to 105 kilograms. But with the, with the amount they are extracting from the aero they've added, you probably need, and I think this is according to Summers, more like 120 or 130 kilograms to really properly use the car throughout a whole race. And that ignores the fact that you're asking these engines to be that reliable. So we have regulations that are literally pointed the opposite direction. And it shouldn't be a surprise that we get these anomalous results from a racing point of view because they're racing across a whole season and not just in a single race now. Can I, can I make an additional point there, which is that the cars have a flu, uh, fuel flow restriction restrictor, um, which is, is it a hundred, hundred kilos, a hundred kilograms minute. Yeah. A uh, um, hundred kilos a minute. Wow. That's really big. 105. <laughs> um, I thought it was, but okay. It's like 105 kilos per hour is the flow limit. Uh, I don't know if they, I don't know what the latest is on that. Anyway. Yeah, I would John say, Players confirmed. What, this is the beauty of having a low latency chat room. Fantastic. 105 kilograms, the uh, the chat room confirms. Thank you. Uh, and by the way, that's a killer name, John Player. Um, <laughs> so what if we remove the flow restriction? So now you've got the same amount of fuel, 100 and whatever it was, 5 kilos. Um, but now you're unrestricted in terms of when you can use the fuel. So now you say, okay, Lewis Hamilton's stuck behind Ricardo. Lewis, go to position 10 on fuel. Give it the beans. Give it all the fuel it's got. Um, and then, if it doesn't work, late in the race, you've got Hamilton saying, uh-oh, I'm going to run out of fuel. I've got to scale it back. And suddenly he starts falling into the hands of Raikkonen, who hasn't done that. Now, suddenly you have the possibility of human error coming into it, whereby, okay, strategically that didn't work. Uh-oh, we've got problems. At the moment, that doesn't happen because the fuel flow restriction is such that you can't do that. I was with you till you said Raikkonen. Yeah, pick a better person. But yeah, there we go. Right, I want to go to the only racing driver on the panel. Uh, a bit of kind of a, a summary on what we think about these cars on these tracks. Montreal has a great history. It's a very historic track. Bradley, you've driven F3 cars. So you've driven like heavy aero uh, single-seater cars. If I give you a choice between racing these cars in Barcelona... Montreal, Monaco, Silverstone, oh, that's on the edge of that example, these old tracks, and and then I give you the, another choice, which is to be in a championship with Istanbul, Austin, Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, China, Malaysia, Korea. Which one do you go to for great racing to enjoy your craft? You gave me quite a big selection of different types of well, tracks. Well, basically, it's, it's old tracks versus new tracks. Yeah, I mean, let's get rid of Korea for a start. But um, <laughs> oh, come on! It had like eighteen straights. I, I really have to say, I think old tracks, old tracks with grass and elevation change in character. That doesn't mean to say that I don't love watching the races on some of the new tracks, things like Istanbul and, and Bahrain. I think they are really cool. But in terms of driving, and I have to say, I've not actually driven on uh, the majority of these F1 tracks. Certainly not in anything that does the track justice, because they are designed for very fast cars. Um, but you know me, I'm a Nürburgring person. It's one of the older tracks that you can find and it's the narrower, uh, narrowest and, um, most undulating kind of track. That's what I like. I like grass and jeopardy. I like if the driver makes a mistake, they're going to be probably into the wall and very lucky if they're not into the wall. Um, so I'm, I'm with the old tracks personally. Can you, uh, by the way, um, Bradley, 
have you driven the Nordschleife you're referring to there? Yeah, lots. Uh, yeah, right, a, I would refer to myself as a Nordschleife specialist. All right. I've, I have also driven that in a Ford Fiesta 1.3 rental car. Nice. And I may say... Four hours in a Fiesta, actually. There is, there is nothing better for an idiot like myself to drive it in a Ford Fiesta 1.3. And the reason is, is because that car, that, that track sorts the men out from the voice so quick. It's amazing how in a Ford Fiesta, which I couldn't make go quick enough to scare myself, I would be catching three series Beamers and, and Alphas and, and even a Caterham because it would be some big time Charlie who thinks they're Michael Schumacher, goes out there and realizes, uh-oh, this is actually really scary when we really, really let, let this thing go. And if you were um, so, driving yeah. that Fiesta at Istanbul, that wouldn't be the case. The M3 or the Caterham would have left you for dead. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it's just, you know, there's no, there's no imminent sense of danger. And I, that's what I loved about, that's what I loved about driving around the Nordschleife, even just in a road car. If you just go and pay your 15 euros and go around, you just think, wow, okay, this is really like big time now. This is sorting them out. Yes, managed to get the conversation onto the Nordschleife. <laughs> Another yeah. big win. Well done. And a top tip to any listeners, if you get into Bradley Philpott's road car, don't have three pints and say something along the lines of, how quickly can you catch that tractor? Because it's very, very quickly and you'll regret it instantly. Guys, well, now I want to know Now I want to know what car it is. Go on, go for it, Philpott. Um, it's uh, one of the limited edition Coupe Franche Peugeot 308 GTI 270s, which is the fastest production car Peugeot I've ever made. Blimey, Charlie. I've got, I've got an Audi RS4 for the connoisseur amongst German car lovers. It's, it's not as powerful as yours, but it would be faster over a lap. It'd be lighter, I'd say. Bradley Philpott's acceleration hurt my soul and left me hearing colours. Guys, this has, believe it or not, been the review for the Canadian... 2018 Grand Prix and it's time to give out some awards for rookie Sean Kelly let's tell him that we give out awards for thing of the weekend the missed apex award that's a bad thing daddy I want a pony and I want to hear from the chat room as well, now that we have low latency on. So let's start with Matt Trumpets. Who have you given your thing of the weekend to for the Canadian Grand Prix? Hmm. I'm going to quietly give it to Max Verstappen for not hitting anything. He's not hit anything for five sessions, so that's quite worthy. Thing of the weekend, Max Verstappen for Matt Trumpets. Bradley Philpot, who gets your thing of the weekend? Um, thing of the weekend, Williams for winning the raft race. Um, it's <laughs> the closest to success that that team's going to get for a while. They could have used the actual car. Sean Kelly, who stood out for you and gets your thing of the weekend award? Uh, probably not as humorous, but Jack Villeneuve driving Gilles Villeneuve's car on the 40th anniversary of the circuit Gilles Villeneuve, I think was fantastic and somehow fitting that it ended, the day ended with a Ferrari victory where it started with a, a legendary Ferrari of, of your. And, and I hate to do this because as you guys know, who've been listening to Missed Apex for some time, I'm not a Sebastian Vettel fan. Don't rate Sebastian Vettel as someone worthy of four world championships. However, I do feel like he's settling down after last season where he blew a world championship that was his for the taking. This season so far, I think Sebastian Vettel has done everything he can to bring a title to Ferrari. So this weekend as well, he gets my thing of the weekend especially if you look at Kimi Räikkönen in that car trumpets. Is Kimi Räikkönen the best advert for a Ferrari driver the world has ever seen, even more so than Massa? 
Yeah, Raikkonen was exceptionally disappointing, not only in qualifying, but also in the race. He, he did have the opportunity, if he'd been able to get the pace out of the car, to, to get ahead of Hamilton because he ran so much longer. But he, or, or even Verstappen, I think they could have had a podium out of him. But I, I think it came down to like three-tenths a lap, and he just he couldn't find it. And again, I don't know if that was just car setup or what. I didn't look at it that closely. But if you're a Raikkonen fan, yeah, it was not the best of weekends. I should say um, that uh, Kimi, if you look at Kimi's 10 best laps in this race, they were only 0.15 slower on average than Vettel. So uh, a lot of Kimi's race was decided on Saturday afternoon, as was the same with, with Lewis's race. Again, it, I, I hate to sound like I'm repeating myself, but track position proved to be king in a way that we couldn't have probably foreseen in Montreal. But Kimi Raikkonen has been doing that all season as well. I mean, he's thrown away a few Q3 performances. Like he should have been on pole in China, for, for example. Yes, I, I, and this is a, this is a key stat here in in China and in Azerbaijan. Raikkonen's three best sectors, when added up, would have given him pole position, but he just didn't yes. do them all on the same lap. So the frustrating thing about Kimi is that he has obviously the pace. It's just actually stringing it all together. If he can just make his attention span last 90 seconds. And you know, Kimmy, <laughs> Kimmy has that great tendency to just tail off in mid sentence. It's just like, Bradley Philpott, deploy your Kimmy Raikkonen impression instantly. Uh, I think that maybe it was quite a good race, but uh, yeah, maybe we can uh, do a little bit better in the next one. I think you cheated. I think you used an actual clip of Kimi Raikkonen there. So, so let's go on to our bad thing. Matt Trumpets, who missed the apex for you? Ooh, who missed the apex? I don't know. It's probably getting a bit old to say Williams. So, so Williams. Williams. <laughs> Fair enough. Absolutely. Uh, Bradley Philbert, who missed the apex for you this weekend? So I had a couple that could have been ponies or missed apexes. And I'm, I'm going to go with... I feel a bit unfair, but I'm going to go with Bottas running wide whilst chasing down Vettel near the end of the race because it killed the only hope I had that this would turn out to be something other than the most boring race I've ever watched. I never, (laughs) I never have a go about Formula One races. I'm always the one saying, yeah, but the backstory, yeah, but the strategy, yeah, but it's a soap opera and there's storylines all through the field. Brandon, you're so so positive about Formula One, but... You were just messaging me the word boring over and over and over again. And that was a big wake up call to me because I've sat through a lot of boring races since 1988 or whatever. Uh, that was a big wake up call to me that if you're not enjoying it, uh, surely, you know, the vast majority of fans are not enjoying it as well. I made it through the Schumacher Ferrari era unscathed, still <laughs> enjoying each race. And yet yesterday I'd had no hope. I, I just felt. I felt so gutted about it. So, yeah. Anyway, so Bottas ruined my final bit of excitement. He missed the apex. Uh, sorry, I was just looking at the chat room, and they, they've thrown up Grosjean for their thing of the week for giving the, uh, the, the groundhog the giant hug after he accidentally ran over one on track. Okay, so I will just put this out there. If you murder me in a racing car, hugging a giant fluffy effigy of me isn't going to make that any better at all sean kelly who missed the apex for you this weekend uh for me it was the the woman who waved the flag but not for the reason not for the flag waving part for the interview on the grid she gave where she said she wasn't an f1 fan and then she tweeted that she was kind of put out that her conversation had been interrupted on the grid i'd like to personally say to her 
Um, there was 100,000 people in the stands who pay thousands of dollars to go to Grand Prix races and have done so for years who will never, ever, ever be invited onto the starting grid. You need to remind yourself, you're around 12 different TV broadcasters uh, who are broadcasting live. If you want to stand on the grid, people are going to stick a microphone under your nose as a celebrity. Deal with it. I will defend her slightly. There was, there was a commercial and political decision to invite that lady onto the grid. She was clearly not prepared to be there. She did not get the autonomy to decide when to wave the checkered flag. I think we should probably make that clear. She was following instructions. However, probably should have had a bit more savvy than to turn up to an event and say, I actually don't care what's going on here. So I think in that respect, the Missed Apex uh, Award is justified. If you're there, if you're there and you haven't paid and you're on the grid and everything's laid out for you and then you whinge about it, you might be racing for Williams or you might be a celebrity on the grid. Who knows? But if I was invited to the International Lawn Bowl Championships because the chairman of the Scottish Lawn Bowl Society, who happened to be hosting it that year, just happened to be a massive fan of Missed Apex podcast and our shed antics and invited me there, I, I would hope that I would have the sense to kind of have looked up a little bit about lawn bowls and said, yes, I'm enjoying seeing what these people do. I'm not an expert, but I'm enjoying being educated about it rather than being, you know, kind of just saying, Ugh, who knows why I'm here. It, it's to me, it, it, it is annoying when I meet real fans, the people who know their ass from their elbow when it comes to Formula One racing. I, I can't stand the hangers on. I tell you a great story that was related to this. A few years ago, I was at the Monaco Grand Prix, and um, I, I was on Flavio Briatore's yacht. Now, I consider myself qualified for that accolade because I know all the cars on the grid, like the form guide, uh, tires, all of that stuff. Like, I feel like I'm not a hanger-on. I actually he- I'm here to watch the race. I, I met this model who was there, who was very, very excited to be there and said, oh, I love Formula One, blah, 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 blah. And I re-encountered her two days later after the end of the race. And I said, what did you think of the race? She said, oh, it was amazing. I loved every second of it. And then she said, there was a pause. And then she said, so who won? And I thought, well, what were you here for? Were you, were you here to watch the race? Or were you here to just Instagram yourself at the race? That's the, that's the attitude I can't stand. I just, in, know, in, just, in, just in her away. slight defense, I am a massive cricket fan. I could not tell you the result of any test match that I've been to purely because of the beer tent at most test match stadiums. However, it is time to move on to the Pony Award. Bradley Philpot for you. Who gets the Pony Award? Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Claire Williams. Oh no, that was mine. Oh, yeah, yeah. damn People it. always take mine. I've got loads of others if you want them. No, um, go on, go for Claire yeah. Williams. Let's talk yeah, about Claire that. Claire Williams, because uh, I, I've just, <laughs> I'm so... I've lost all all kind of enthusiasm for Williams and I really want to like them and I really want to like Claire and I know people who know her and they say she's lovely but sure you can't is. watch that incident with Stroll. Watch your driver who we all know is a bit rubbish and we all know is only there because of lots and lots of money. A bit can't rubbish? Watch him make a, can't just watch him make a massive mistake. Take another driver out who had no no fault whatsoever in the situation and then say that that driver hit your driver. It's like... I mean, yeah, a lot of drivers have hit Stroll whilst he's been out of control sliding towards the edge of the track at various points of the last couple of years. Like, it's, that's not how it works. Claire, 
I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what the solution is, but Williams are just in a, a bad spot. I, I was actually going to give it to her before that incident as well, with her saying Lance Stroll has done enough to secure the 2019 seat, when clearly that is a checkbook. What she's saying is he has the funds to continue racing in 2019 if he would. And sadly, it's not a case of Lance Stroll justifying his seat for 2019. It is a case of Williams putting on the charm offensive to say, we will still have you in 2019. Please come. Please give us your money. We can give. It's the other way around. It's the wrong way around, Trumpets. It's maddening. Yeah, it is maddening. Um, it's, you know, it's not maddening. It's just the sport. It's, it, this is what happens when you give people unlimited money and then you take it away from them. You know, the, the, the tobacco companies gave them endless budget to play with. And in a way, what we're seeing is sort of the ultimate hangover from that. Now they have to live in a world where corporate sponsors need to be wooed, where you don't automatically get everything for just asking. And I think not everyone has made a good transition. You know, and Williams were fortunate they had some engineering projects that paid off for them. But 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 they're 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 coming up against that rock and that hard place. Anyway, you probably want to know who my pony is. Go on, give me one. Actually, Sean uh, is at a bit, a bit of a disadvantage because our yeah. pony award is for generally petulant behaviour, like my daughter demanding... Daddy, I want a pony! And I want it now! So if you have one, let us know. But Trumpets, what is your pony award for this week? Well, I don't know. Maybe we should let Sean go first in case I accidentally take whoever he can well, just... I was giving him think thinking of. time was my, my tactic. Oh. Well, you know, we could just, we could just like, you know, we could just waffle for a second. I tell Come you on. what, I tell you what, if you, if you take his, I'll just edit you saying yours out and we'll just act as if he said it first. Yeah. Or I could tell you about my stunning drive home through traffic to make the start of the race. No, no, no. that's a big fat no. <laughs> no, you'll just Bradley be recreating the last two Grand Prix. What's the point? <laughs> Who's your it pony? Was more award? exciting than the actual race. Fine. You want to know who my pony is? I do. Desperately. Perez, of course. What? Perez. You're Sergio joking. Black Flag Perez. He was That's punted. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he was calling for his competitor to be Black Flagged over something that he was wholly responsible for. I don't know. There is no better definition of a pony than your child throwing their ice cream on the ground and looking at you and blaming their sibling for it and demanding another. And that's pretty much what it amounted to. Sean Kelly, do you have a pony award? Do you feel somebody had thrown their teddy out of the pram this week? I do. And it is my pony award goes to the entire Formula One fan base for whinging on about two bad races. They can all be classics. If they were all classics, well, then they wouldn't be classics. They would be normal races. You have to have some dull races. Sometimes you get a nil-nil draw. Sometimes you get a 5-4 thriller. Unfortunately, we've had a couple of nil-nils in a row. We're watching Sam Allardyce's Formula One right now. And at some point in the future, we'll get back to, you know, sexy football. Yeah. What have you. That's just the way it is. But so complete, everybody stop whinging on about it being, oh, it's terrible. We've got to change A, B and C thing. Calm down a bit. It's not as bad as you think. Yeah. Can I just defend my own um, point of view that this was super boring? I also (laughs) wouldn't call for changes. I'm in full agreement with you. This was really boring. But yes, that's what happens, and that's what makes the good races really good. Yeah, so, so, exactly. I, I'm, in yeah. I'm, not, with you. I'm not. I'm not criticizing saying, "Well, that race sucked." What I would say is, let's not say, "Well, we've got to completely tear it all up and start again." That that's the thing that I'm getting at. We we sat through you and I, Sean, 
being equally old, 1980s children. Uh, we sat through a lot of 90s races where you would watch the start and just get on with your day for the rest of the race with it on in the background. Uh, however, there is a problem, which is Paul Rickard is coming as the the next race. And I don't think that that is going to be the antidote to what we've seen in the last few races. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, rule it out as being an exciting race just yet. Uh, we don't know what that layout is going to produce in terms of an F1 race. We haven't seen that yet. It's it's much different to what we had last in 1990. And it's uh, with the chicanes and stuff, it's different to what it was uh, pre-De Angelis up until 1985. Um, but I'm not concerned that suddenly, like, well, it's there's no point in watching anymore. In fact, there's, there's one thing I want to pick up here, and that is that... The clamoring to change Formula One's rules, make it more exciting and what have you, is a function of today's society as much as it is a function of today's Formula One. Like you mentioned 30 years ago, 30 years ago it was enough to put on the start of the race, okay, Mansell's in the lead, PK's second, Senna is third, and even Sunday Grandstand on the BBC would say, well, we'll come back to the race later, now we're going to go and see what's happening in the one-day cricket, and then we're going to go and watch horse racing. <laughs> yeah, you were just you know, waiting for... And then for, they come back to the yeah. race. You were just waiting for Burger's now, engine to blow. Yeah. Right. Nowadays, this is... We're in the social media generation. People are listening to us via social media right now. Our attention span is, is barely as long as a goldfish's memory. We have to have entertainment. It has to be now. If something hasn't happened in the next six seconds, I'm turning the whole thing off. Um, and that wasn't the case in the 80s. We, we had a much longer... Uh, elastic limit with that stuff so you know we have to bear that in mind as well okay counterpoint sean in the 90s formula one was competing with trans world sport showing replays of triathlons and kabaddi right whereas now we live in a world where there is so much entertainment that formula one is under pressure surely to keep up with that yes you're right the world has changed and formula one has to keep up i agree with you and i agree that it needs to keep up. And I think what it needs to keep up with is the more extreme sports, the, the, the if you will, the Red Bull sponsored sports, mm. you know, the extreme sports. They, they, you know, you look at, look at how the Winter Olympics has moved with the times. The Winter Olympics used to be, people would think, oh, it's uh, figure skating and stuff like that. Now you watch the Winter Olympics and they've got like ski cross and slope style and, and like all these crazy stuff that wasn't even a sport 30 years ago because they've moved with the times. Formula One needs to keep on with uh, the what, whatever is the cultural zeitgeist of the time. Where 30 years ago we had that, now we've got these cars that sound like lawnmowers, which just aren't terribly exciting to watch. <laughs> um, we miss the artistry of the driver. We can't, they can't get it out of shape. We can't see their helmets. We can't see their hands on the wheel. So we miss that connection, the human connection with that driver. Uh, because if they get the car out of shape, it spins. So. I've always said that if you put a box over Roger Federer, but he still played the same, no one would give him any credit because they can't see what he's doing. Even though he's and the best tennis player of all time, people would say, oh, well, he'll never be as good as, you know, John McEnroe because we could see what John McEnroe was doing. Um, so there's, there's other things rather than just simply, well, it's, it's, it's so much less exciting than it was in my day. That's not true. If you watch a race from the 80s or 90s, like you mentioned, it's more exciting now than it was then, just that culturally we've changed. We're fully out of time, but for sure the patrons will be able to catch us for a bit of post-show chat if any of these panellists are going to hang around. Sean Kelly, where can people catch up with you on social media? You can send abusive messages to me at Virtual Statman. Matt Trumpets, where can people catch up with you, sir? 
at MattPT55 on the Twitters, as always. Bradley Philpot, you're going to be racing at the Nürburgring very soon in VLN. Where can people catch footage and updates of that? Okay, so you need to head to my YouTube channel. Just search for Bradley Philpot on YouTube. Um, I have a series which I'm promoting at the moment, which is called How to Learn the Nürburgring Nordschleife in Under an Hour. Um, Parts one to four are released. The fifth and final part will be out very soon. So if you've ever wanted to learn the Nürburgring Nordschleife in detail, corner names, lines, techniques of how to remember certain sections and piece it all together, head to my YouTube channel and watch those videos. Follow Bradley Philpot, the best communicator of how to drive a race car on the internet, bar none. Is it YouTube where you're Brad Dude 16 or is that Instagram? Uh, it, it's Brad Dude 2K, but you don't have to type that in. You can just cite my real name. Shocking. And it'll, uh, it'll bring up a picture of my race helmet and my channel. And yeah, the next race, to which a couple of missed Apex um, contributors. Chris Stevens, yeah. Me is next weekend, VLM3, which is my first race of the year because of various issues. Uh, but we can still win the championship next weekend. So wish me luck. Many thanks to F3 test driver and instructor at the Palmer School, former instructor former. at the Palmer Race School, uh, Bradley Philpot, F1 Statman, Sean Kelly, extraordinaire blogger on summersf1.co.uk. Does great race reviews there. Matt Trampets at MattPT55. I'm Spanners Ready on Twitter. And I also have an Instagram account. Search Spanners Ready, all one word. And... On Twitter, the Missed Apex F1 account. Until we see you again in the shed, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. More interesting than the Canadian Grand Prix. Only slightly, though. I think it was close. What do you think, Matt? We've certainly run long. Uh, We have run long. Uh, Chat room loves Sean. I tell you who else loves Sean. I'm glad to see my family has logged in today to send uh, to, to to big me up there artificially. I'm not astroturfing the whole thing. Well, I tell you what, right? We've got a video editor who sits in Australia and he does all our video for us. He puts together the video clips, social media. He does the backgrounds for all of this. He normally all he does through the show is he sits there and goes, "Ah, oh, tell Bradley Fieldbody's too low in the camera, silly ginger git. Oh, Matt Trumpet, he's too busy on his hair gel and he's off to the left hand side of the screen. Oh, Chris." Stevens, what's going on with his boiler and his bookshelf? He just messaged me there and he said, Sean Kelly, what a pro. What a great video and what a great guest. Nothing pleases that man, yet you've pleased him. Well, I please pass on my my, my kind regards. I, I'm going to blush in a minute. But yeah, I guess, I guess after 15 years of being in TV studios, <laughs> I had no excuse if I got it wrong. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.